Everything we do here at James Project focuses on caring for vulnerable women and children because we believe that's the call that God has placed on every one of us as Christians. Okay, we are back with another episode, and today we have Dan Thompson with us. He has, he's been a team leader for how many years now, Dan? Um, 2010 was the first year, so this will be the 15th trip. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so you and I have known each other for a long time, and, uh, but somewhat before we, either one of us were following Jesus because your family owned the local bar in town and you were behind the bar and I was on the other side and super grateful that social media didn't exist then because the memories that would be showing up 20 years later would be really embarrassing, actually longer than 20 years, but I won't date myself or you. So, (laughs) so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, not a not a real exciting story. Uh, born and raised up here in the northeast kingdom of Vermont in the little town of Lindenville, town of about 5,000 people. Um, was very blessed to grow up on a, a, a gravel road a couple of miles outside of town, right next to a dairy farm. Um, so lived in the country, played in the backyard, ran in the woods, you know. Um, but I didn't, you know, didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, you know, my dad was my best friend and and my free time was just over on the farm working and playing. And so it was, it was a wonderful place to grow up. But, you know, like I said, it just out in the country, you, you just learn to entertain yourself and, and enjoy the beauties that nature has for us. Right. So um, in your family, you had, you, you said your dad was your best friend, right? And you had one sister? Yeah, one-, one sister. She's two years older. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, she left home early, so she wasn't a big part of my life. Um, we ran in different circles, and um, we didn't really get along like lots of brothers and sisters do. So, um, so yeah, so it was, uh, you know, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister. You know, oh, we didn't we didn't want for a lot. We didn't have a lot. We just that's just the way I thought it was. You just learned to get by with what you had in the country and. And so, you know, I, I, I look back on it and, you know, I don't know if if it was too good or too bad or what it was, but I just never had any big global dreams or aspirations or plans to go anywhere, do anything. You just got up every day, did what you did and went home and went to bed. You know, that's just the way you grow up in the country. So. And we grew up in the same area. So I hear you. But okay. so clearly your life is a little different now. You don't live way out in the country anymore. You still live in the same area, right? Right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how your life is a little different now. Well, I think uh, I think it's called growing up. <laughs> you know, we uh, obviously um we're we I am much older than we were back then, and you know. <laughs> When you're kids, you don't you don't think about the big picture. You think about what's right in front of your face, and you think about yourself, and you think about instant gratification and joys and pleasures. And um, you know, we we 
or I haven't, I hadn't realized that joy was a choice. You know, I thought joy came from circumstances and things are around. So you did things that were fun and you were, you felt joy and you did things that weren't fun and you were sad. And, and uh, so I guess the biggest difference between now and then is to, you know, take, take a step back and, and think of the whole picture and, and think of others in finding joy in, in, the little things. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. You mentioned that you thought you didn't realize joy was a choice. I think people would say a lot of people feel that way that, you know, it's, it's based on your circumstances. So why would you say it's a choice? Like what is, how do you choose it and compared mm -hmm. to letting your circumstances determine it? Yeah. It, it, it takes intentionality. You know, you got to, uh, you know, you got to realize that we're blessed just to be here. We're blessed to be alive, you know, and, you know, I'm blessed to be healthy. I'm blessed to have family and friends around. You know, we, we, we grow up in a society, especially now with social media and stuff of instant gratification is that, you know, we, we, we get bored quickly and we, we, our, our senses go up and down so quickly and, and we don't realize that the, the joy is the foundation of it all. You know, you can choose to be grumpy. You can choose to be happy. You have yeah. to choose. You have to choose to not be bored. You have to choose to not be angry. You have to choose to, I mean, our, our emotions, I, I say, are like the, the warning lights on our car. You know, they they just tell us that something's wrong and it doesn't mean we have to react to them. Um, and that's right. a, a big lesson. I was a very, very angry young person growing up. I would get... Uh, you know, fighting mad. I, you know, I'd never get in fights, but it just, my blood pressure would go up and I'd be so angry and so frustrated all the time over crazy little things that really didn't matter in the big picture of life. So, uh, you know, my stress level is much lower now than it was when I was younger. So, mm -hmm. I, you know. it is not necessarily a bad thing for those things, is it? No, no. <laughs> You know, people, people sometimes ask, you know, well, what's it cost to, to be a Christian? And I say, well, you, mm -hmm. you, you get rid of some anger and you get rid of frustration and you get rid of selfishness and you get uh, lots of the things that it costs you are, are good things. So, yeah. So you, you're saying that before you had a lot of the anger and that kind of stuff, but being a Christian, you give that up. So I would take your, take it. You haven't always been a Christian. No, I, uh. My mom brought us to church when we were little. Um, I remember enjoying going Tuesday nights to choir practice. And, you know, it was just something fun to get off the hill and get into town and, you know, go sing some songs and hang out with the young kids. And, and it just something was we did. I don't, you know, I can, I can remember saying the words, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior because they gave you a wooden cross and a necklace and it was a cool thing to say or do. But I don't remember <laughs> as a child understanding or comprehending the, the, the scope of it. And so mm -hmm. as a teenager, you get making your own choices. And I started to say, I don't like to go or don't want to go. And we weren't forced to go. We were allowed free choice. And mm -hmm. uh, so... I thought that was a good choice, you know, so for the next 25 years, I went around trying to be my own boss and make my own decisions and steer my own course. And, 
was just a train wreck, you know, <laughs> failure after failure and trouble after trouble and struggles after struggles. And, and again, I didn't know any different. So I just figured that's the way life was. So yeah. I just kept going for 25 years that way. And then I realized that I got to a point of, of sadness and depression and frustration to the point where I just said, I don't want to live anymore. If this is life, it's just so angry and sad. And in, in my eyes, it was not worth living. So I, I, I got to a point, you know, I think it was 2009 that the, and I just said, I don't want to live anymore. This is not worth it. So. Mm. That's a, that's a dark place to be. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and for no reason, you know, it's, uh, it's just the, the tricks that our mind plays, you know, mm. I don't remember who told me this, but once, but you know, it's a, it's a punctuation issue. Cause they say what you think you are, you are, mm -hmm. but it's a matter of where you put the comma because it's what you think, comma, you are. Mm -hmm. So if you think you're a failure, if you think you're sad, if you think you're a loser, if you just think there's no hope, mm -hmm. that's what you are, you know? Right. And so, you know, and then, you know, 20 years later, I can say in, in Romans, it says, you know, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's all, all in your mind. So it is. Yeah. Proverbs four, I think 24, it is in the NCV version. It says, um, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. And they do. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's all up here, unfortunately, because we can't get away from it sometimes. So it's really hard to, to, to win that battle. And so you were at a really low point and saying you were done with life. How did you, like, what changed to, to get you out of that? Cause clearly you're here. So Right. Well, I'm still here. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was my, in the back of my mind, my mom lost a cousin when she was very young to suicide. Oh. And I always heard the, my mom's voice in the back of my mind. I was saying, oh my God, don't ever do that. That's the worst thing you could ever do. That's the worst thing. It just takes all your troubles and gives them to, to the people who love you. And, and so even in, in my own mind, thinking that if I was gone, it would be the best thing. There was always that little voice in the back of my head saying, well, you can't do that because mom said not to. Right. Right. And, uh, and so it's, it, it's just a, uh, it was a, a struggle for years and years and years of not wanting to live or it wasn't years, but at the end it was a long time of, of not want to live, but what to do next. Mm. And so just by chance, I was driving through town on a Sunday and said, this is the last chance. I, I remember going to that church when I was a little kid and uh, so what the heck I'll go in and, sit and see what they have to say. I could, I was, my goal was to, to prove that even God can fix anything. Mm -mm. And so I snuck in that little church where I went to when I was a kid and I recognized a lot of faces from town and, and I saw a lot of strange looks um, because, you know, on the outside, people don't understand what's going on on your inside. And right. so I remember seeing a lot of stares from the people in church saying, oh, my God, if Dan Thompson's in this church, there's something seriously wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. 
Barb Dwyer, who I knew as a child, was the pastor at the time. And mm -hmm. I, she could see from the pulpit that if Dan's here, something's wrong. And so when she finally said the benediction at the end, she hiked up her robe and she hightailed it to the back of that church and made sure she caught me before I got out the door. And she made me promise to come back next week. And uh -huh. all, all I cared to do at that point was just this one to leave. I'm like, I did it. I did it. I'm going out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. And so the, the whole next week of struggle was, oh, my God, I don't want to live. But now I got to at least live another week because I told Barb I'd be back next Sunday. And, and <laughs> right. So, you know, it, they're little, little coincidences. You know, the, the, you don't realize God's master plan. And you mm -hmm. have all these little coincidences and little run-ins with people. And, and, you know, I say, you know, micro relationships with people that at the right time, those just seem to pop back up and prop you up and nudge you and steer you in the right direction. And several mm -hmm. friendly faces and people I knew growing up in the church and they, you know, all with the right encouraging word at the right time. And, and so little by little, I kept going back a little more. And then the right person would say, oh, you should sing this song with us. And then the right man, I remember Lou Perry saying, oh, been here long enough. You should be a trustee. And I'm like, I'm week three. <laughs> that is very typical of the church, though. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it, it, it's just a, when you step back and look at it now, it's just so masterful of the just the right people encouraging you to go the right places in the right times. And and uh, I remember Marty Fors was a, a retired pastor, was also a, a member of the church. And he kind of tucked me under his wing and he talked to me now and then and give me little bits of advice. And he really encouraged me to go on the walk to Emmaus, <laughs> a 72 hour retreat for for men and again you know being a people pleaser i'm like oh yeah that sounds like a good idea that sounds like a good idea and then right. and Fran, uh, stan francis signed me up to be my sponsor yeah. and next thing you know i'm in a car headed off to burlington on a thursday night and they're dropping me off in this church with no phone and no keys and no car and uh, i remember saying I think I'm at a fair ride, and it says if you're not this tall, you can't go on this ride. And I remember right. thinking, oh, my God, I'm not this much of a Christian. I shouldn't be here on this walk. And, right. you know, on day one, I had to pay a million dollars to get out of that church. Oh, and my God. by Sunday night, I had to pay a million dollars to stay another day. You know? uh, isn't you know? that amazing? It was, you know, it's just such a, a, a dose of unconditional love from... <laughs> equally yoked men from all over all different races and religions all at the same place encouraged by men who had been there before that are further ahead and just encouragement and love and support and that was really the the eye opener so i think that was in the fall of 09 mm -hmm. and so that was the biggest eye opener for me that said i remember um kneeling at the altar with Marty. Marty was a a, a spiritual director on that walk. And oh, I nice. remember on Saturday night, I was kneeling at the altar and I was just crying for who knows why, just overcome with emotion. And, and uh, you know, Marty was talking me through it. And he says, you know, look at up up there on the cross and he died for your sins. And, yeah. and 
you know, so it, it really uh, developed a taste for, you know, the the joy and the optimism and the hope that it brought. Mm -hmm. And so after I got back from that weekend, I was just hungry for the next step. What can I do? You know, I finally stopped thinking about myself and stopped thinking about, you know, death for a minute. And someone at the church said, well, there's a missions meeting Mm -hmm. Tuesday night. And so raised my hand. I said, I'll go to that. And they started talking about Guatemala. And I was like, oh, sign me up. I have no idea where I'm going, what I'm doing. And so Patrick Ham was the leader of that trip. And and even though I still wasn't a Christian, I was learning. And he allowed me to join the team and go down. And, and uh, lo and behold, those hundred little girls down at the James Project just mm-hmm. sealed the deal, saved my life. And mm-hmm. Here we are today. That's another dose of unconditional love, isn't it? Their sweet little faces. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's quite a powerful thing. Yep. So um, being that low, you you know, you said it's these micro relationships and different people that come across your path, but you had to be ready too. There, if you think about it, was there another time in your life that you probably would have shoved that stuff aside? Like, do you feel like you had to be in a certain mindset of your own? Like, it sounds like you had kind of given up on trying to do it your way. Yeah, I guess by walking through the church door was some admission of that I need help. It was, it wasn't a a mental choice of I've given up. It was kind of like my body just walked itself in there and my body said, we're going to make the move for you, even though your brain's not ready for it yet. Yeah, and so it's just uh, you don't you never know what to expect when you when it comes to God. So yeah, me. and when we, yeah. Sorry. when we talked before, that's okay. You mentioned that um, when Joanne and I were talking, and you're we were talking about people feeling kind of low to go and find somebody else lower. But you had said something kind of interesting that that struck me because you said that when you're in that spot, you don't think there is anybody lower, right? Right. Yeah. You, you know, you, you, you find joy in the bottom of the pit yeah. um, because you, we wallow around in our self pity. And when you get to wallowing in self pity, there's nothing better than being at the bottom of the pit. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to, a, it almost challenges you like, Life sucks. It's always bad. Look around. Everybody's got it better than me, and I'm the worst of the worst. And mm-hmm. if you see someone that's that you think is going through something worse, you can talk your way and commit. No, no, I've got it worse. I'm worse than them. I'm this and happened to that, and mm-hmm. and so it almost becomes, you know, comforting to mm-hmm. be at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And um, because I don't know, because one of the one of the things I would tell people is when when someone's struggling one of the worst things that you can hear from the bottom of the barrel is you shouldn't feel that way mm. because we can't control our feelings we we don't control what makes us feel bad we only right. control the actions of uh, after the thought or the feeling comes so when people say you shouldn't feel bad all you do is recite in your mind all the million things that have gone wrong and you're looking at them smiling and you say, well, these are all the reasons I feel bad. And mm-hmm. 
but they don't know it. And because most of the time when you're, you know, when you're in the, the dark spots, the depression or whatever, you hide mm -hmm. it from all those people around you. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it becomes a game, it becomes a challenge and it becomes, you know, hmm. no matter how bad it is, it becomes comfortable because that's what we know. Interesting. Yeah. And so, so it's kind of like the first step of getting out of the darkness is accepting that you don't know what's next. Hmm. And then as you learn to walk with God, it's the same thing is, you know, you don't need to know what the next step is. You just got to keep stepping. And mm -hmm. so the, the first, the first step to getting out of the, you know, the, the mental darkness is to just start walking. Even if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know what you're doing, just, right. just go and do something and mm -hmm. get out of your own way. That's, I've yeah. spent the, most of my life being in my own way. I think a lot of us do. <laughs> you're not alone in that. <laughs> yeah. And I, the way I explained learning to to follow god with my kids when they were younger because um i didn't really start following him till i felt like i really needed to which was parenting and homeschooling so i was in my late 20s before i was like oh yeah i need to reinvest in what i grew up with and so for me it was like giving up my whole plan you know as far as teaching and all of that went cuz i thought i had a good one and trusting that if I took one step, it was like standing on the uh, edge of a river, you know, in this raging water and each, like there was this one little rock there that he was saying, you can step on this, you know, trust me a little bit. Right. So I step out on that little rock and it was like, okay, it's not slippery. It's not moving. I'm not getting wet, you know? And so then I would step out on another one. It was a little bit bigger, you know, just that progression of learning to trust him with things, even though <laughs> You see all these things around you that feel like, you know, are going to fall apart if you don't control them or you don't orchestrate things. And, you know, that was my issue was control. So, you know, allowing the raging waters around me to not um, take my attention and just focus on the next rock in front of me till I was on a much bigger one where the water's down below and I'm I'm feeling pretty good and you know, trusting right. that at a plan even if i don't know what the next step is so yeah but it is a process for sure yeah yeah it is a, a slow and careful walk it's mm. but sometimes you just have to take the leap of faith yeah you know, a, a, one of the guys on the walk to emmaus said you just get to the end of all you know and you just jump into the darkness and you mm. just trust that one of two things will happen that Either there'll be a soft place to land or you'll learn to fly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great analogy. Yeah. So, it is. It can be scary, though, when you run your whole life the way you wanted, even though you failed a million times over, you know, it's still giving up that that illusion of control because it's really not control. But giving it up and handing it over to him, is it's tough. It's a tough yeah. journey. Yeah. That, that first trip down to... Guatemala was definitely a leap of faith. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what was it like? I mean, whole new world. <laughs> yeah. It was especially scary. Um, my, I was divorced young and my kids had quite a bit of Catholic upbringing between their uh, mother and their mother's parents, their grandparents on their mother's side. Um, and so they had a much more faith background 
than I'd had. And so and when I talked about the trip, I convinced my son to go with me. And um, let's see, oh, nine. So he must have been um, 13, 14 years old. And so I got him to go with me. And so um, it gave me a little confidence, you know, someone, you know, go along and, you know, it's kind of like going out in the dark when you have a little kid with you. You feel much braver and bolder than if you're by yourself because yeah. you got to protect them. You got to act big and strong. And so mm -hmm. it was really scary going to a third world country because the first day we landed, we, we spent the first night in the hostel in the city and he got some sort of travel bug. Oh, and no. So, so here I was in a razor wired gated community when my teenage son is violently ill and throwing up all night long and I can't speak the language and I can't take him to the doctors and I can't take him to the hospital. And it was literally the, the first night I spent the whole night just on my knees praying and I didn't even know how to pray. I didn't even know what I was praying for. I just knew that I was hopeless and helpless. And um, it was, it was a really uh, a baptism by fire when it comes to prayer. <laughs> yeah, it sounds that way. We had our own little room out in the garage and he took it like a champ and got up in the morning and he felt better and nobody even knew that he was sick and nobody knew that I didn't sleep a wink all night and nobody, I didn't even know that it was an answered prayer or what it was. I just knew that we got through it and off we go the next day and drive to the, you know, to the projects. It's a three hour ride out through the countryside to get to the project and it's just massive input overload you know mm. you think about a newborn baby when they first are born and they're opening their eyes it's just that first trip down it's just every aspect of it is so overwhelming you're taking in the country you're taking in the culture you're taking in fear you're taking in learning courage and and it you can't even process the whole week the first time i was crying all the time i didn't know what i was crying about you know and and yeah. seeing all these little kids and hearing the stories they were going through and they were all smiling and happy and lovey and yeah it uh but one one thing that kept me focused was you know i've always been work and goalie or oriented and mm -hmm. so our project for that week was to build this giant playground that we had taken on much more than was quite possible and so we spent the whole week building the playground and I spent every waking hour cutting boards and screwing screws and you know hell or high water I was going to build this playground and I found myself uh you know shunning kids away because they were annoying me because I need to get this work done and um they kept coming over bringing me a drink and smiling and laughing and playing and giggling and I was trying to work and it I wasn't getting it at the time I was I was trying to earn my way instead of you know accepting mm -hmm. that the way has already been made yeah so there's a you know scripture in the bible that says you know what what man makes god will tear down but what god makes will last forever mm. well lo and behold on the second trip down i go down and the whole playground was deteriorated the termites had eaten all the lumber and things were falling all apart no. but all the kids still loved me and remembered me and you said oh you made the playground for us and we love you so much and you did this and that and it was really really eye-opening to realize that it wasn't the playground that they loved it was me mm -hmm. and that's yep. you, 
it's it's when you when you get that it's the relationship that matters mm-hmm. whether it's the relationship between you and another person or it's relationship between yourself and god mm-hmm. um, it's not the rules it's not the work it's 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 mm-hmm. the relationship that matters so right even if we never did another thing for him he would still love us the same that's the right. neat thing you know right yeah and isn't it funny how he'll use the kids like that like those kids were trying to tell you all week it's about us yeah (laughs) but you were focused on the work yeah i had a similar experience to that um when zori was younger she's she's very different her and i are very different personalities so it was hard. It was it was harder to connect with her. And I would spend mornings like praying in this office, like, God, you got to help me to just be a better mom, you know, really connect with her. And then inevitably, like I'm trying to like really focus on my Bible study, right? And trying to work on this. And she'd come in and crawl up in my lap and ask me to tell her about the day she was born, like every morning for two weeks. And until it finally dawned on me that God was trying to show me how to connect with her better. <laughs> Because that story inevitably is, you know, how happy we were to meet her that first day. And and every day that she wakes up, I should be just as happy to see her and and connect with her and figure out a way to to bring our personalities together. Fortunately, now that she's 16, we're in a much better place. It took some time, though, because personalities are just, you know, they, they clash sometimes. So I really had to wrestle through that. But when I finally realized what God was trying to get through to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Cause I would get annoyed. I'd be like, I just told you this yesterday. <laughs> so right. it took a couple of weeks. <clears throat> I feel yeah. Yeah. He does use those kiddos, doesn't he? So, um, were you a Christian after that trip? Um, I, it was still in the deal. I, I still remember, um, I don't remember the exact timeline, but it was probably like a year after that. I was uh, doing some work for um, a guy who turned out to be a retired pastor. And, and you know, I I thought that I was loud and proud and I thought that I'd gone from the dark side to the light side and I knew and I was walking the walk and talking the talk and, um, and I, you know, I thought I'd got it. And then he, I remember him asking me, so are you going to go to heaven or not? And, and I remember answering like, but yeah, I didn't, I've done anything bad. I didn't kill anybody. I don't murder anybody. I don't steal. I'm a good guy. Of course I am. And I, I since learned that that's the most common answer you always get. Yeah. And I remember him in all his grace, just leaving me be and saying, well, yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with it. You got to trust Christ. And, um, and I, I just remember walking away from that conversation saying, man, I thought I was getting it, but it kind of implied that I'm not getting it. And, uh, and yeah. so, you know, I don't know. It, it, I'm, a, I'm a slow learner when it comes to the hard things, I guess. And and so eventually I can't put a, 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 a date to the time when I finally got it. Um, but it, uh, it took a lot longer than it should have. Um, but then I realized that you know, at any minute of your time with God, you can look back and say, boy, I thought I knew last year where I was. Now now I'm in a good spot now. And then a year from now, you can do the same thing and say, oh, man, I, I didn't know squat back then. I know it all now. And then right. the next year goes by and you're like, 
how can this keep happening? But you just, it's, you never get it. It's a constant, constant learning curve. And, you know, we, it's not, it's not a point to get, it's a point to keep going towards. Right. And the nice thing, like the Bible says, he brings us from glory to glory. So in his eyes, when we accept him, we're already in glory and he's just helping us grow to another level of glory, which is a beautiful thing. So, and I think a lot of people, um, I don't think a lot of people have dates that they can, but I don't have a date I can put on it. It is a gradual thing. And some of us are slow learners in that, but the, I always tell my kids, it doesn't matter how long it takes to get something. He's happy with any movement in his direction. Like he's cheering us on. He's the biggest cheerleader for any movement in his direction. So, and he's not condemning us when we're moving in our own direction, the opposite way. He's just lovingly waiting for us to turn around and realize that's the wrong way to go. (laughs) You know, and he's constantly encouraging us and applauds our walk, but Mm -hmm when we fail and, and fall and go the wrong way, he picks us back up and, and, and it's just like it never happened. And just, all right, get back on track and keep it on going. You know, yep. I think like a, lot the, of people, a lot of people fear following Christ because they don't know what to expect. And a lot mm-hmm. of people fear following Christ because they don't think they're worthy or they, they're um, not good enough or can't be good enough or don't trust themselves or, I'll never be perfect. And so, yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. But yeah. It's, it's a, it's a constant everyday battle and none of us are perfect and none of us will ever be perfect. And so the, you, you, you just try to, to get closer every day. And yeah. Yeah. To him. Yeah. And I think the, The thing that people don't realize about that mindset of, you know, I didn't do anything horribly wrong. I didn't murder anybody. I don't steal, you know, I should go to heaven. Like, I mean, if there's someplace good for me to go, I should be able to go. But what that does, and I don't think people realize it, is that discounts what Jesus did. Like, it's basically saying he didn't need to die for my sins. I'm not that bad. Do you know what I mean? He didn't need to suffer on the cross. He didn't need to come and live the life he lived and be ridiculed and mocked and beaten within an inch of his life and then die on the cross for my sins. I'm okay, you know? And it's it's when we put it in that perspective, you know, it's, it's like, no, he, he actually did. And he, and I'm not, I don't want to discount that. So, um, yeah, we can't, there's a little book by Andy Stanley that's called, I think the title is, um, how, how good is good enough, I think. And it just walks you through that process. Like there is no good enough that would accomplish perfection and God is perfection. So we can't, get there without Jesus, you know, there is, he is the only way. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I think a lot of people feel that way that they haven't done anything so bad, you know? Right. And I I can't speak for women because I I happen to be a man, but I Mm -hmm. I think it feels like it's difficult from a man's perspective because we are taught to, you know, work for it and earn it. And, and, uh, you know, you, you get your rewards for working hard and what you did and didn't do. And, um, and it's a hard, hard to grasp the concept of it's already been done. It's already yours. You just got to accept it. There's no work to do. Right. Other, yeah. Receive, which is, yeah, it is. It's hard. Er, yeah. Early on in one of my, uh, in one of Pastor Barb's sermon, she was speaking on this exact subject and she was talking about 
you know, we are we're already living in victory. We're not fighting for victory. We're already living in victory. And mm -hmm. well, lo and behold, just up the road a few miles, there's a small town called Victory. Yeah. Even church. And I went to the Bagel Depot in Lindenville and someone asked me, how you doing? And I was on fire from her sermon. And I said, oh, I'm living in victory. And they turned to look at me and said, there's a lot of snow up there, isn't there? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So you, you just shake your head. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure there is. But yeah, it shows you that, that most of society doesn't grasp that it's not what we do. It's what he's already done. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's that's one of the a very large hurdle to get over. Uh, and yeah. I, yeah, I still struggle to accept it. You know, mm -hmm. I still try to find myself earning way or pleasing him or whatever. And he's already pleased with me just because I, you know, I'm hit. Exactly. Right. It doesn't make him any happier than that. So, right. But it's, it's a daily struggle. Mm-hmm. And that verse comes to mind, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And so that to be free from that work mindset is, it is, it's a, a constant renewal of the mind to remind yourself, it's not about what I do. It's not even about me. He just loves me because he loves me. And, it, you know, I don't have to do anything to earn it. I don't have to, I can't make it any, I can't make him love me any more or any less by anything I do. So. It is a freeing mindset if you can trust that 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 Jesus did in fact die for your sins and um, and He wants to love you like that. So, yeah, right. I think part of it too is um, we as humans are not unconditionally loving very well. You know what I mean? Like right. we're just we're just not. So to try to grasp that mindset of or that that understanding, and even Paul in Ephesians talks about. I, I, you, it's his love is not something you can fathom, but I pray that you can know how high and deep and wide and long his love is for you because it's, it, it is such an unfathomable concept to our little brains, especially when we don't treat each other that way sometimes. Right. And, and when we, when we allow our brain to even allow Christ into our thoughts, then mm -hmm. we're overcome with guilt. Um, mm -hmm for all the sins that we, all the wrongs we have done. Mm. And, and so we, we convince ourselves that, you know, not only he, he, he can't forgive that, you know, he, you know, or we convince ourselves that, that our, what we've done is, is, it matters. And it doesn't matter to him anymore. Right. You know, right. he, he forgave us before we did all those. So. Mm -hmm. And um, not, you know, keeping score of the things we get right you know? Right. So, yeah. 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 Um, so you went down that first time with your son and that was quite an experience. When did you go down again? Did you go down right the next year? Did you, what yeah. did you do? So, so I went down, Patrick was the team leader and I went with him in 2010 with my son. I went down mm -hmm. with 2011 with both my son and my daughter. And then I went back in 2012 with my daughter um, and then uh, Patrick was called to go in a different direction and he had some life changes. And so 10, 11, 12, I went in 2013, nobody went and mm. felt a void. And it's like, how come nobody went? And they said, well, nobody's the leader anymore. The leader's gone. Mm -hmm. And so I just 
was so fired up from from the project i said well no problem i think i can do it and aaron warner who had been a couple times with us and so i convinced aaron i said let's do it together mm -hmm. and so aaron and i teamed up and got he got a group from his area up in orleans and i got a group from down here and we threw together a team of 26 people our first team <laughs> in 2000 um let's see 10 11 12 13 nobody went so 2014 and mm -hmm. it was a nightmare. It mm -hmm. was, we were such bad leaders. And when we got back, we couldn't wait to touch ground and run and find Patrick Ham and Sheffield, wherever he was, and just apologize for all our disobedience and anything we did to not encourage him as a leader. And um, we, it was, it was such a bad experience that we didn't do it again in 2015 because wow. it, it was, uh, and it's hard to describe. It just didn't go right. Um, so then 2015, nobody went again and, and God just said, it's nobody's going to do it. Might as well be you. So got back on the train and took what I learned. And, and one thing I did find is, um, you can't have two leaders. Yeah, because that's tough. People depend upon what you say or don't say, they just go to the other one and, and oh. so. 15 i got aaron back on board as my secret helper i said okay aaron i'll be the leader and you just come along and we'll co-lead in the dark You're, you'll be the in the dark co-leader and we'll just meet every night after closed doors and go over what to do and how to do this and um, oh, that made it much easier when there was just one focus and one direction and then aaron had children and wasn't able to go years after that and so um then it was just me yeah but he did go the year that i went though i think it was 2018 when we went with you because he helped us get down there because you were already there yeah with the team yeah. yeah yeah that 2018 year i think there was 46 people that went that year i was i was down there for three weeks straight with three and different teams that's crazy yeah. So how many people total do you think you've taken down? I'm I'm guessing somewhere around 300 now. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's uh it's it's very uh I say self self-fulfilling because you know you can only have that once in a lifetime experience one time but when it's a mountaintop experience you want to have it over and over and over again. And so I was just so on fire for that feeling that I just constantly encourage new people to go all the time so that I could relive it through them. And every time somebody new would get that wow, aha moment, I'd be just like, isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Um, yeah. It was very, you know, self-fulfilling to, to go. And I was in a position where I was doing a lot of coaching and umpiring. And uh, when I got back on fire, I was trying to volunteer more and do more. And so I was around a lot of teenagers. And so I would try to encourage I'd see good kids in bad situations that would just need a perspective. And so for several years, it was loaded and loaded with teams of teenagers that were not Christians, not churchgoers. Um, and I would just say, it doesn't matter. It's just, just a good experience. Just come, Let, let's see what God can do in you. And it's very exciting to go do that. But when people aren't ready to accept Christ, mm -hmm. um, you don't know how it's working in them and you don't know what is working in them. So it's, it's very humbling to sit back and wait for that seed to germinate. Mm. Um, 
and some of it I have been blessed to see some germination in some young kids. Um, but others, I just sit back and, and say, you know, they, they can't unsee it. They can't unfeel it. Um, and hopefully someday, you know, they'll call on it and, you know, mm -hmm. it, uh, so it's just, it's just a cool experience. Like, you know, the greatest thing we come back with is perspective, you know, mm -hmm. perspective mm -hmm. on our lives, perspective on Christ and what he can do if we let him, um, you know, so it's, you know, that's what just keeps going over and over and over again. And every year I say, I don't know if I'm going to do it again. I don't know, but I didn't expect to go the first time. And so. Right. <laughs> and God keeps bringing people for you to bring down. I mean, that's good. Yeah. You know, I, even this year, I, um, you know, now that I've got uh, five grandbabies mm -hmm. and time is of the essence and life is busier and crazier than ever. And mm -hmm. I just a couple of weeks ago said something to Caroline. It's like, I don't even know if we'll have a team ready or to go next year or what the God has in store. And, right. and that Sunday we walked in church up in West Burke and no more and walked through the door and Joe walks up and says, I think I'm going to go with you guys next year. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Caroline looks at me and says, see, guess we're going. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, that's great. Well, you have such a unique perspective, I think, when you bring a group down because of how much it's affected your life and and what a um, what a seed it was in the beginning of your walk with God. Do you know what I mean? Because it was so early on in uh, in that. So it's it, your perspective on bringing people down that aren't quite Christians and, and exposing them to that is so unique. So I think it it's God's used it in mighty ways in that way, you know? Yeah. And also blessed over the years to have some very seasoned Christians go along and to see the experience that they have. You you think that, oh, they've seen it all. They know it all. And it knocks them to their knees and breaks them down to, to, to tears. And, you know, mm -hmm. to see full grown. I've seen, you know, military veterans that have been through combat that have seen terrible things and and just broken down to tears. Um, you know, I remember Scott Turner went with me this first trip he went, I brought him down. I met him through the Emmaus community and he wanted to go yep. with me and, and we did a VBS at the local dump. Mm -hmm. And when we got back to eat dinner, he was just sitting at the table crying and crying and crying. I said, Scott, what's the matter? And he's like, I just feel so guilty. He says, last week before we left on our trip, I went through McDonald's drive through and I was pissing and moaning because my French fries were cold. <laughs> and he was feeling so guilty that he had thought that it was so important for him to complain about cold French fries after we got done to BBS at the local dump. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, perspective is huge. It really, really is. Yeah. And, you know, we've had this conversation before where people will say when you're, especially when you're asking them for money for a trip and they'll say, why don't we just send down the money? Why, why take the time and the energy and the extra money to actually send people? Like, wouldn't it just be better to send money? And we've had this conversation many times, but what is your take on that? Cause I agree yeah. with that. <laughs> I think it's good you to know, share. I always go back to the old additive where if you, if you give someone a fish, you'll feed them for a day. But if you teach them how to fish, they'll, they'll eat for life. Um, right. That first year, my son asked me, 
He said, how much is this going to cost? Because we never have any extra money. And I told us a couple thousand dollars or whatever. And he said, well, wouldn't it just be better for them if we sent them the money than to, to spend that money to just go see them? And mm -hmm. the, the problem is, is if you just mail them the money, then they may feel a blessing for a moment. But we've already talked about it. It's the relationship that's more important. Okay. And, uh, you know, I even get rifts from some people in the local community that will tell me, oh, I'm not going to support your trip. I want to support locals and I mm -hmm. want to support the local need. And But we as, as team members that go down and visit the project get so much more than we could ever give. I mean, <laughs> those children have what we need. You know, <laughs> they have hope. They, they have seen the dark. They've got, they are engulfed in an environment of unconditional love and they're wrapped with with god's blanket down there in such a loving environment and you know you you would you can almost say they don't need anything because they have all they need right. but the organization itself needs the financials to to run it right and so if you just mail the money down the organization will have money to operate but mm -hmm. it's the stories that you tell and the stories that you share so if zachary and my son and i if we would have just mailed them two thousand dollars in 2010 and left it at that mm -hmm. then we want to get to meet the kids and we want to get to find out about the sponsorship program and have relationships with the kids down there and then we want to get to share it with people traveling to and from and tell stories about it and then you don't get the team next year and then you know, now we're 300 people in and 300 people all go down and sponsor children and they come home and they, you know, they're on fire. They raise money for local charities and they do more than they would have. So it, it's, it's just, you know, so much bigger than you can grasp than just writing a check and sending some money that it's yeah. the whole picture is just mind blowing how how it works. Well, and that, that's the pushback I give too when people say that to me. I'm like, when if I didn't ever leave this area, I might do some nice things. You know, we might still deliver food for the senior center or something. But when I come back from there, my perspective is so different that I see needs better. Do you know what I mean? Because you're just you you've spent a week practicing just being the hands and feet of Jesus. Nothing else. No, you, you don't have to worry about laundry or cooking or anything else. You're just, that's what you're focused on. So you come back with that practice that those muscles that have, you know, gotten some work. So you're more apt to participate in the community. You're more apt to help out in a need that you might not have seen before because you haven't, you know, you've just been so stuck in your own little world, you know? Yeah. We, yeah, we need to get outside of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, to yeah. you know just to just think about uh you know you you live over in the littleton area and mm -hmm. think about how many times you stop at the same gas station to gas up your car and you stop at the same grocery store and get your loaf of bread and your gallon of milk and you mm -hmm. go to the same entertainment place whether it's a movie theater bullet you know mm -hmm. and think about how many people just in littleton that you don't know right you right. know Mm -hmm. And so when you get outside your comfort zone and you realize that you don't need to know somebody to do something kind, right. um, and it, it helps just free you when you get back home to, to 
help just for the sake of helping and not for because it's someone you know or something you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other part of it is the the project is so good at letting those kids know how far we've come. Like they it's they don't take it for granted that we travel down there. So so showing up for them speaks volumes. Do you know what I mean? To for them to know that we traveled an entire day to get down there and we're spending a week there with them and in our you know our little world up here is freezing and do you know what I mean? Just it it lets them know that they are seen and they are loved by more than you know. I mean, the people that are around them are fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but it adds to the love that they feel. And also the staff. I mean, um, when we went down in August, Zori wanted to wash feet. That was, she felt really strongly that she wanted to wash the staff's feet. And it was funny because none of the house dads wanted (laughs) wanted us to see their feet, except for Papa Hugo. He came with his wife and Zori gave a little uh, message and then we washed feet. And he said later that day, he really needed that. Like he needed that time and he needed that refreshment. And so, because it's it's a hard job. So even for the staff to know that we care and we see them and we, we know the hard work that they're doing all year long and we encourage them and we bring them down presents and trail mix that they can't get down there. And, you know, it, it's very impactful for a lot of different reasons and including back home. So I agree. I think it's much better than just sending the money. Yeah. And and it's a nice analogy for them because, you know, and if you think about it from their perspective, you know, all these gringos come down from the States and come down and visit us. Mm-hmm. What did we do for that? You know, we we didn't deserve that, and we have nothing to give them but mm-hmm. love. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it's a direct correlation to to Christ. You know, is He loved us, even though we didn't do anything to deserve it or earn it. So it's kind of like an affirmation of the unconditional love that the project does and instills in them from the minute they land on the project. Um, yeah, and then it's almost like. I can't believe this is happening. And then when teams come and visit, they're like, oh, now I can actually see it happening. Mm-hmm. I think it helps, you know, the kids accept unconditional love because they're they're getting it, they're seeing it, they're feeling it, and they're they're not doing anything for it. Right. And I think that's why it makes us feel so good when we come home is because at the end of the day, we you know, we didn't really do anything for them. We went down there and they, and as soon as you step foot and on the, the court, they love you unconditionally just because you're there. And mm-hmm. you're like, but we haven't built your bunk beds and we haven't planted your trees and we haven't painted your buildings or whatever we have in mind to, for a project to help them out. They already love us anyway. Yep. Um, you know, so there's so much, you know, you know, visual, uh, you know, correlation to, to scripture, to what happens. And yeah, it's, if we see it and feel it and do it, sometimes it's easier to grasp than if we just think it. Yeah. Yeah. And just imagine what it must be like for them to open the envelope with the check in it. Right. (laughs) And so you were talking about relationships and I know that, um, and, and the project. So it made me think of the, one of the girls that I sponsor during sponsorship night, the second night we were a second year that we were there, she told me her whole story, which was pretty dark. And 
But the one thing that amazed me was as dark as it was, and it didn't like magically change once she got to the property, but she explained every detail of the night that she arrived. It was raining. It was late. She was in the back of a police truck, you know, but as soon as she, as soon as they drove through that gates, she felt a peace and it, it, it is just different there. And I know that you've had a, um, a similar experience with, well, I mean, an experience with a sponsorship as well that has been longstanding. So you've had some unique experiences down there. I think that, I mean, maybe other people have, but I don't, I don't think they have. So tell us about Lydia. All right. So, so um, I met Lydia the very first week we were there. It was a, a crazy chaos, you know, combination soccer, basketball, night game, hundred kids. There was 25 team members running around just laughing and having a ball and and I was playing soccer and this little 12 year old girl Lydia she kept calling me a cheater and I didn't know what Dramboso was and so whatever <laughs> she kept calling me a Dramboso all night long and we were just bashing each other back and forth and and I would just say or do anything that made her smile and she was right. just a blast and um then when I learned about the sponsorship program and that you know, I could write letters to her and I get, and it turned out that the week we were there, it was her birthday. And so I thought, oh. well, I guess this is a sign. So when, mm -hmm. when we left, I told her that I was going to be her sponsor and she cried and cried. And it was so important to her to have someone love her. And, and so year after year, I go back and visit her on her birthday. And, and I, I would think about the sponsorship programs that they have on TV where they just show you a picture of a child and they say mail 35 bucks or whatever. Who knows if it's even a real picture or a real child or where your money's going. And I'm like, well, for 35 bucks, I can I can come here and hug this child and play with this child and bring them presents and and mm -hmm. get to know them. And so I ended up sponsoring her year after year after year until she left the project. And then I thought it was over. You know, it was kind of a sad. The next year I went back, I didn't expect to see her. And, and, but back then it was all the same kids year after year after year. So Based during on. the week when I was at the project, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if I can pick another kid or something. And one of her friends that happens to be a year younger was still at the project says, oh, you know, Lydia still lives right here in Monhaus. You should go find her. Oh. Oh, so. Aaron and Victor and I got on the nine o'clock one night, drove to town and we knocked on the door where supposedly she lived and, and nope, she wouldn't live there, but they thought maybe she moved this street over. And so we went to the next row and, and we, after about four doors, we knocked on, we just, Victor says, uh, Aaron said, we should pray. And so we yeah. just stopped and we were praying that if God wanted us to find her, and when we stopped, there was this loud noise music coming out of this door just around the corner. Mm -hmm. And so just out of curiosity, went down and, and you could hear lots of loud singing and voices. And it sounded almost sounded like they were fighting. And Victor said, no, they're praying. They're having a home church service. Mm -hmm. And it was an old piece of metal hanging over the door. And I just nosy. So I just pulled the metal back and I looked in and there stood Lydia holding a little baby. Oh. And she just walked out the street and hands me a little baby. It was her little baby that was only a few months old. And <laughs> talking away in Spanish to Victor. And I'm in crying, holding this little baby in the headlights of the car. And I said, Victor, she doesn't even doesn't even look surprised. And she told Victor, she's like, I knew you'd come find me. 
<laughs> and so, so we just kept in touch and so she's just always lived in the community and and so i always supported her and so she had a boyfriend and they had a baby and you know i gave them some money for some food and helped them pay some rent bills while we were there and i just thought things were going great and next year we'd go back there'd be another baby and so they were talking about how they wanted to get right in the eyes of the Lord. They were living in sin. They weren't married yet and had two babies. And so I met with her soon to be husband in private. And we financially set up a wedding. And so he coordinated everything. And I flew back down secretly in on May, I think it was May 13th, that next spring and walked her down the aisle. Um, yeah. I thought it was going to be a big surprise, but, um, Again, when she walked in the church with her wedding gown on, I'm like, you don't even look surprised. And she said, oh, I heard last night the giant gringo was in town, so I figured it was you. Aww. <laughs> so I walked her down the aisle, and you know, her all the families were there, and and uh, it was just a really special time. It was, you know, a treat to, you know, fill the dad role of a child that didn't have a dad. So, and not only did she not have a dad, her mom was not good to her either right that's why she ended up at the project yeah her mom was abusive to her and her mom murdered her dad and so she oh. was in jail and mm. so she had nobody she had no no siblings and no mom no dad or nothing so so yeah so she was grateful for you i'm sure yeah. so <laughs> She's she, she calls me dad and all the now she has three children they all call me grandpa and yeah and social media we can talk almost daily and, mm -hmm. and so and I still help support them and whatever they need and the kids are in school and she's working and so here we are 15 years later and yeah. three grandbabies and so it's a very unique sponsor it's not everybody gets to stay in touch with the kids after they leave the project so right yeah yeah so yeah I mean that definitely wouldn't have happened if you just sent a two thousand dollar check that first year <laughs> right yeah absolutely <laughs> You know, it's it's just the, you know, like a giant mushroom cloud that just keeps growing with stories and relationships. And, you know, I'm I'm not a big Facebook person, but I'm more than half of my friends are from Guatemala. They they don't speak English. They're all Guatemalan kids that I've met through the project. And they get out and they grow older and they get phones and they look you up and they send you friend requests. And it's nice to be able to follow them. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the other experiences that you've noticed that people have had and the 300 people that you've taken down? Is there anybody that sticks out to you about their experience? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, one of the, the biggest ones was uh, uh, Reg Abbott and mm -hmm. um, went down and, and they really caught on fire for the project and they bought right in and helped support and get started the Women's Redeemed program. and. Uh, you know, there's a, a girl from Littleton named Kathy that she liked it so much. Now she starts her own team and she's got her own thing going now. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're very funny. <laughs> um, yeah. And so there was a, you know, we, we touch relationships with, we got churches that joined us from uh, Glens Falls, New York area and Scott Turner and Dan um, that have brought teams down from New York 
that spun off that wouldn't have happened if that. And then we started relationship with the Morgan Church and a bunch of them went with us. And now they have their own mission team that goes to Guatemala every year. They don't always go to the James Project, but they got fire for the country and for the missions. And, um, you know, if they still have team members, if they can't make their team or their mission, they call me and join us and go. And and mm-hmm. so, you know, it's, it's non-denominational. It's non-church. It's non, you know, it's just an open invitation to go be hands and feet for God. And it's, it's a, a blessing of James Project and all people at Shadow to, to not have those burdens or those barriers. You know, the, right. it's all welcome. Come, come mm-hmm. and see what God can do. And, uh, you know, my wife, Caroline, always says it just seems like, once you're on property, the, the curtain between heaven and earth is a little thinner down there and and yeah. God's a little more clear and just feels a little warmer. And mm-hmm. I know that's what everybody, I mean, I have experienced that myself, but everybody I talk to as well. I mean, Tiffany and Brian said the same thing. And of course, Joanne and Carol, that it's just like God's presence is just felt in a different way down there. It's hard to describe unless you go, but it's just so very different. Right. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, they don't have the stuff mm-hmm. to attract them, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a whole lot less I and a whole lot more we and us down there. And, uh, you know, they value, you know, their relationships and and they know they're in such a tough spot down there that they won't survive without God and they need God and they need each other. And and we are so blessed and spoiled financially up here in the in the the great United States that it's, uh, we trust in our stuff. You know, we want our fancy cars and our warm houses and our TV and, you know, the full refrigerator. And, you know, we don't need God cause we have everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And down I know. There- yeah. I went to a conference once, a homeschooling conference, and I was sitting across from, I was older than they were. They were younger moms. I think it was either a homeschooling or a mom's conference. I can't remember, but I was thinking I knew so much, right? Well, this young mom across from me was, we were talking about just how to stay connected, how to live our faith, basically. And she said, I have to remind myself of the acronym RAIN, that I really am in need all the time. And I was like, oh, that's so smart. <laughs> yeah. We get so comfortable. You know, I talked to my kids about that. When you look at the Old Testament and you see the kings that started out following God and then they got comfortable you know, they, and what happens, they start to rely on themselves. They start to think that they don't need God anymore. And so that really are in need. We really are in need all the time of God's grace and his goodness, no matter how comfortable we are, but it's, it's harder to remember that when things are going well and, you know, you don't have a a want for anything. Yeah. That's, you know, that's one of the questions I always ask myself is of why is it that we have to be broken in order to why does God have to be our last resort? And and I'm number one guilty of it. You know, he was the last resort for me. But why why is it so difficult to turn to him sooner? Mm. Um, and you know what? The beautiful thing is he doesn't hold that against us either, though. <laughs> He's fully aware that we have tried everything else and we are going to him as a last resort. And he still isn't, you know, crossing his arms and saying, well, too bad. You should have come to me first. He doesn't do that. He's right. just happy returning to him so it's um it's humbling that he can love us that well 
Yes, yeah, if it was on the other foot, we'd be saying, I told you so. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. And you've had some other experiences that are unique to you going down, um, <laughs> like the last trip we took. And I was so glad, and you could tell us about it in a second, but I was so glad that was the last trip before everybody shut down for COVID to, to end with that note for the, for the project. I, I was glad that that was how we capped it off, but go ahead. Yeah. Talk, was... You're talking about a, a, a wedding proposal that occurred on the project. Um, yes. Because nobody gets to have that experience either. <laughs> my, my, my wife and I, Caroline and I were, um, were partners and we were together way back in the nineties. Um, but, we both had walked a similar walk as children had gone, uh, got a little taste of church, but had decided to, to go our own way. And we were thrown together and we had what seemed to be a relationship that was far too perfect to be true. Mm -hmm. uh, 1993, four, five, six, seven, we were talking about babies and marriage and kids. And I had been married once earlier. It didn't work out. I had young kids. I, you know, I was still selfish and, and I just, couldn't grasp the, the the fact that things could be this good um, mm -hmm. and through some poor choices in life that sparked the beginning of my depression, we ended up breaking up and she went on to uh, have a family with a with another guy and um, I spiraled from that point on into deep depression and um, continued to try and find my way. I was like the the, the lost brother going to the foreign lands, just struggling time and time again. I remember going to counseling the first time and I'm saying, you know, not to be egotistical, but I'm smart and I'm capable and I'm talented. I can do all these things, but why the hell can't I figure out these relationship things? And, you know, the point being is you're in your own way, you know, yeah. stop thinking about yourself if you want to figure out these relationship things. And so I spiraled through counseling and many more marriages and divorces and and just spiraled out of control until that one day that I finally ended up back in church and started to get grounded and there's a there's a movie uh facing the giants one of my favorite scenes is when the janitor goes into the coach and he says I don't know what to do and he says you know two farmers prayed for rain but only one of them went out and prepared their fields for rain and which one of them do you think received the rain? And mm -hmm. so that encouraged me to get right with God. And at that point I had, my chances were over. I had screwed up with Caroline and I was just, I just knew that God was gonna give me something perfect. But the fact that he would bring her back into my life was so far out of the realm of possibilities that it wasn't even on my mind. Mm -hmm. and so. Lo and behold, you know, her her relationship came to an end and my relationship with Christ was growing and um, boom, one day we just crossed paths and said, how's it going? And and God said, all right, here's your second chance. Don't screw it up. And, <laughs> and so we had, uh, so that was August 2nd, 2019, after 23 years apart. We got back together and it was just like no time would been missed. Wow. You know, even my brain couldn't even grasp, but there was a 23 year void. All I could think about was our time together and 
and we just clicked. And so I convinced her to go with me on the trip to Guatemala. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so the whole, there was going to be this secret proposal and she had, <laughs> we had, I mean, we'd been together for a few months now and we knew that, you know, this was it, it was right. And, but because we had both been married and divorced before, she didn't want the same old proposal or, you know, she wanted something special. So I got it in my mind that down in Guatemala would be a good time to do it. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so with the help of the team all in stealth secret spy, yes. we planned and coordinated everything right under her nose. And uh, with the help of the hundred kids and a play and a skit, um, mm -hmm. we proposed to her and, and fortunately she accepted and the, I can still see the banner here hangs up over our bed um, that the kids yeah. brought out that said, will you marry me? And, um, and it was such a great experience for all those kids. Oh um, my goodness. They were crying. They were so happy. <laughs> yeah. To see that. The house parents mention it every time I go back. You remember mm -hmm. when you had the big proposal in the party and the dance and yeah. You know, yeah. so it's just, you know, it just has lots of special memories. You, you know, I remember my mom always saying like, oh, I remember where where I was when, you know, so-and-so died or when, you know, we all remember where we were when the, you know, the planes hit the Twin Towers. You know, there's certain important things in our lives that we remember. And, you know, so that when you can correlate, you know, positive experiences with godly experiences that just helps reinforce them all. So, yeah, I'm very yeah. glad. Yeah. And it was so fun. And you had a hard time trusting us with the details, but you, you were nervous. And I said, why aren't you trusting us? We've got it. Well, and I it was going to be so special for her too, that by mm -hmm. letting go of some of the details, it, it helped me become a bit special for me too. And I thank you girls that all took it. The rain, you know, above and beyond the fireworks, the flowers, the cakes, just. And we didn't even know about the fireworks. That was a surprise to us. That was the house parents. Because everyone was like, why are we doing the goodbye party on the basketball court? We never do it on the basketball court. Right. <laughs> it's always in the salon, but you can't have fireworks in the salon. So that was why. But yeah, it was so fun. And then the world shut down right after that. We were the last team that year. So yeah. I was really glad to finish it like that with all of that, all of the people there. And Mama Carol was there and Lydia was there. It was just, yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, it was great. Happy for you guys. So you, we went down with you. My kids and I went down with you for the first time. And then three years, did we go? We went three years with you. Yeah. I never saw myself leading a team. I did not plan on that. Um, it was the group of people at the church that really wanted a team to go down from our church. And so that's, it just ended up being me, but you went down our first year and it was so helpful. And I, I don't know, I think I told you how appreciative I am, but if I didn't, it was so helpful to have to, cause I was so consumed with the details, kind of like the first time you went down with the, the, the playground, you know what I mean? I was so consumed with making sure everything, all the details happened that you were able to sit back and just share your story and share your passion for it. And that made the trip. Like my whole team coming back, they were like, well, Dan's passion for the project was so great. It was so great to hear his story and to meet Lydia. And you know, so my first trip would have been very boring had you not been there. So I appreciate you going. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, it's always fun to just go and, and not have to handle the, the logistics of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my second trip leading was last year, and I feel bad because I, I didn't really budget in a – I'm not good with downtime. I don't sit well. So that meant nobody else did either. <laughs> I felt bad. They didn't, they didn't let on how – little downtime they had and how it affected them until we got back. I'm like, well, you, you should have told me while we were there, <laughs> Yeah, but cause you just, you're trying to do so much and pack so much in. And um, I mean, it's, it's good work, but it is tiring. Yeah. But of- I think sometimes keeping busy. Um, I think exhaustion helps break down barriers. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right in that aspect for sure. Being out of your comfort zone, sleeping in beds that, although the beds there now are so much better. Have you went down last year, yeah. right, with bunk beds? Yeah, those are yeah, they they can't be wooden anymore because of the termites. So now they're nice metal ones with new mattresses and super comfy. <laughs> so, my kids and I have this. Well, first, um, one of the last questions: How would you compare? We talked about what life was like for both of us before a little bit, how would you compare that life to your life now? Like what was it life before Jesus and life after Jesus? Yeah, I think, you know, it before, before you focus on Jesus, you focus on yourself. And, you know, you think about no matter how capable you are, you're, you're still only one person. So you're only going to help yourself as much as you can help yourself. But then if you think about, you know, well, if I help everybody else and everybody else helps me, well, now I got the rest of the world helping me and uh, and I get the joy of helping somebody else. And so a great analogy I, I, I compare it to is a school teacher wanted to teach his kids a lesson. So he told them all to blow up a balloon and mm-hmm. write their name on the balloon and then throw it out in the hall. Mm-hmm. And so there's hundreds of kids in this school and then he went out and mixed them all up and he said, all right, now you all have 30 seconds, go out and find your balloon. Oh, wow. In 30 seconds, and then like two people found their balloon. He blew a whistle. He says, stop. Mm-hmm. He said, all right, now you got 30 seconds. Everybody pick up one balloon, read the name on it and go give that person their balloon. Mm-hmm. And in 30 seconds, everybody had their balloon. Yeah. And so when you think about it in that way is, you know, we think we're self-serving and we think we're doing great and we think we're doing the best for ourselves. And, and, and we're not only not succeeding, but we're depriving ourselves. And, mm-hmm. and so I, that's the biggest thing I would say is after, you know, Christ helps me focus on others first. Mm-hmm. And not only does that help keep you positive because you're helping others, but you know, when we focus on ourselves, we, focus on the negative and it keeps us from going in the darkness and you know so you keep mm-hmm. looking up you know keep moving forward and keep looking up and that's you know the greatest joy of following Christ is number one you're you're looking up not down and you're doing you're not doing it alone he's always with you right right so what are some of the things that you guys get to do I mean you bring a team down every year um, but you're also doing some other things right yeah yeah we always we always support the local market. We go out and buy some food baskets. We take those food baskets and deliver to some needy people around the villages. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, we go visit the local nursing home. We bring them food and snacks and we sing songs and just give them joy for a day. Um, mm -hmm. Again, just to give somebody some unconditional love for no reason. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we go help the redeemed women and build projects and do things around town. And um, it's changed so much in the, in the last 15 years now that, you know, at first it was a, it was almost strange to be, you know, an American in town mm. and the project was new. And um, now after 15, 20 years of the project being there and everybody realizes what such a blessing it is to everybody who's been through the project. It's such a blessing to everybody that works at the project mm -hmm. and all the, the traffic is coming through town. It's a blessing to the community, um, you know? And so again, it's just one of those things that, has so many positive repercussions that you didn't anticipate. Um, right. And, and that's just down there, but you also, when you, you don't just think about yourself all the rest of the year, what are you and Caroline doing? Cause you, you've come to a place in your life where you're now living out your faith on a more regular basis, right? Not just on right. your trip down. So what do you do in your area the rest of the year? Uh, we do a lot more volunteering, a lot more giving. Uh, we have a ministry in our in our garage called Faith's Closet that supplies uh, clothes and, and some small household supplies for needy moms around towns. Um, I find myself filling in at local churches that don't have pastors doing lay speaking and um, giving sermons on Sundays and volunteering and um it's just a, a full busy schedule of always trying to do something for just to make somebody else's day better. Yeah. And you find that much more fulfilling than life before Jesus? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> life is now worth living, would you say? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when you share sermons, what did you ever see yourself doing that? No, and I still, uh, I still struggle every time I'm asked to do it. Again, I just, I personally, I don't feel worthy. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, I, I, I joke about it sometimes. I tell people, I said, why wouldn't you want to do it? Uh, I said, no matter how bad you do it, that everybody's going to applaud you and praise you because nobody else wants to do it. So <laughs> you can't fail at it, right? Um, but then again, I tell them that. It's, it's nothing special. You don't have to, you don't have to make anything up. It's all there. It's all written in the Bible mm -hmm. and you don't be, you don't even have to try to be unique because if you just go up and read it, you're doing it different than anybody else would. And then if you just open up your yourself and add a, a little bit of how it affected your life, mm -hmm. um, one of the, you know, one of the biggest remarks I get back is, um, you seem real, you seem relatable. Um, it's almost, I think we look too highly at pastors and think that they're better than us well, mm -hmm. because they've been through schooling or something and they're just one of us. Um, mm -hmm. They're called to serve and preach and, um, you know, they're sinners and, you know, and for someone to get out of a pew or out of the dark side and go up and share it, sometimes it's comforting for people to say, oh, maybe, maybe there's hope for me, or that doesn't mean they want to get up and preach a sermon, but um, <laughs> it, 
it just you know so it's nice of the fact that people can that people listen and are appreciative and help mm-hmm. out but it's uh it's challenging yeah but i think isn't that why it's so powerful is that you're willing to be transparent and say here's something i read in the bible and here is how it helped me you know that's basically if we all just did that and we're willing to be i think we all especially in social media world we all want to put on the best face we all want to look like we've got it all together when we really don't and um so be, your willingness to stand up there and be humble enough to share something that indicates that you don't have it all figured out and you do rely on this word and this bible and 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 god to lead your life i think it's that's what we need. And I think a lot of times, you know, those are some of the, even the, the pastors that go to school, those are some of the best pastors I like to listen to are the ones that are sharing something about their own life and how the Bible has been applicable for them. So. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very, we don't have to very, it, huh? very difficult, very rewarding at the same time. Yeah. 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 It's difficult to be vulnerable. Right. Yeah. It's absolutely. Very, yeah. So. One of the last things I'll ask you, the kids and I have this ver- this quote from Mother Teresa that says, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And so <clears throat> your life is obviously changed dramatically through Jesus, and you're living a legacy of just small acts every day of loving people well. And it's it's a beautiful thing. And I'm so thankful that the James project exists that, and you've been able to have the experiences and that I got to share a few of those with you. And, um, I'm, I'm inspired always by the small acts of love that you like to just live your life doing it really, it's a great example of that and a great legacy to leave behind for your kids, your grandkids, and you and Caroline are doing amazing things. So I just want to thank you for being amazing people. But what advice would you give to somebody who is in that dark place that you were and you're, you're and they're, they're happy in the pit, let's so to speak, because they know what to expect. That's comfortable. The self-pity is reaffirming, you know, what would you say to somebody who might be listening and thinking maybe there's something to this living for somebody else thing? Yeah, I guess the first thing is is to just just start and like you said, it's all in your mind. And so instead of being comfortable in the dark or accepting the dark, um, if you just start thinking, you know, something could be different. You don't even have to convince yourself it could be better. Mm. Start thinking that something could be different. And so let's let's just start with that because you don't spring out of the darkness right into the bright daylight overnight. It it's a process. It takes a long time and it takes the transforming of your mind. And mm-hmm. so if you just start by saying just let's just do a, a second at a time or a minute at a time and just think that this doesn't have to be this way. That that's mm-hmm. a start. And then it it'll transform into well if it doesn't have to be this way then how can it be? You know, mm-hmm. and you know, when you're at the bottom of the pit, you're convinced that it's either the bottom or the top, and that's it. And there's no in between. And so there's no way I can get up to the top. So I might as well just live down here at the bottom. And and it's like climbing a ladder. You just got to go one rung at a time, and you just got to accept that 
okay, let's say, let's just do this one thing and see how it works and do this and see how it works. And, um, you know, talk to, you know, you know, one thing I always told myself is I'm not good at anything. Mm. And so just, just out of the blue, ask someone that you love and that you trust, you know, what am I good at? Mm-hmm. You know, and and believe them because when they say, "Oh, well, you should do this. You're good at that, and you should do this. Good at that." You, you, your brain says, "No, I'm not good at that. No, I'm not good at that." Well, why would they say it? You mm-hmm. know, so you gotta you gotta be vulnerable enough to, you know, not ask somebody what should I do, but just say, you know, what kind of things do you think I'm good at or would be good at, mm-hmm. and and all you gotta do is start thinking about it, and then life changes, and then and the the actions follow the thoughts but you got to think them first so you don't have to stay at the bottom of the pit and you can be comfortable somewhere else besides the bottom so just think your way out of it you know it's 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 a battle it's a struggle it's not easy but you know somewhere deep inside each and every one of us god has planted that little seed when we were created that that gives us the ability to turn to him and we don't acknowledge it. We don't know what that is. It's just a strange feeling at first, but it will, you know, if we nourish it with positive thoughts and positive thinking and, and then just take baby steps one step at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, it struck me when you said things could be different, right? I think so many people, they say, or they don't think it can be different because they're not doing anything different. It has to you have to believe that things could be different and then make a different choice, right? Like there has to be action behind the belief because that whole saying of, you know, doing the same thing and expecting a different result, it's not right. very smart, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I'm, I'm glad that you decided to think things could be different and that you let your body walk yourself into the church and that you had some unhealthy people-pleasing tendencies that led you to do some things. <laughs> that without those unhealthy tendencies, you might not have done. So do you think you're better about people pleasing now? Uh, I still have the urge, you know, nothing bothers me any more than disappointment. It is where it comes from. Um, If if there's disappointment, it must be something, either I did something wrong or I didn't fix it yet. Right. Um, And so it's, it's a, it's a battle. Um, still struggle with people pleasing but um Me too. instead of trying to fix the problem um i i think before i act better now and <laughs> um sometimes doing nothing is the best result and um mm-hmm. usually uh you know a response of of love and unconditional and caring um you know whether it's just a smile or a a sometimes all we have to do is not react negatively and we come off as positive. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, it's still a struggle, but, um, you know, it's, it's a, give it to it's, God. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a struggle for me too. And I have to find those boundaries of, you know, I don't have to fix that or I don't have to do that. It's actually not even good for me to do that. <laughs> You know, it would be better if I didn't, because it's not in my job description or it's not what he's called me to do right now. So, but yeah, it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah. You know, I found, you know, sometimes to just go, go away and pray about it. Um, Mm -hmm. 
is is enough you know you yeah. don't not everybody needs fixing um, mm -hmm. and not everybody's asking to be fixed maybe even the perception you got so so sometimes right. just leave it be and pray about it and then the right action will come to you mm -hmm. at the right time. if necessary so. right right but and i love that god uses the things that are not so healthy about us sometimes to get us to where we need to be you know what i mean like he could have said you know we'll wait till he's through that people pleasing, but he used it to your advantage at that time. Even though it was an unhealthy tendency, he used it to get you to Guatemala and to get you to the walk of Emmaus and, you know, to, to show you some different things, to show you his love. So Great. I love that he can use us wherever we're at, whatever stages we're at, whatever we've got, you know, whatever hangups we have, he's still right there ready to say, I'll use it. I'll, I'll show you how much I love you through that. That's okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 You, sometimes you just got to start walking and then he'll steer you. Yep. Can't move a parked car. <laughs> so, well, thank you very much for your time today, Dan, and for sharing your story and for all that you do for Guatemala. And I speak on behalf of the 300 people that you have brought down. Thank you for being patient with me. Cause I know that first year I went down, I was kind of just, observing and I didn't really participate much because I didn't know what to expect or what to think or and I had my two kids and it was just so it was thank you for giving me the grace to just observe more than jump in that first year I appreciate that yeah well thank you for for going and be willing to take that leap of faith and now look at what you've got now you you're you're sharing the experiences to reaching audiences you don't even know you're reaching and and sharing things that that need to be shared and and I appreciate you doing your podcasts and uh, I'm I'm honored to be a part of it. So, thank you for okay. the invitation and and I will look forward to watching all your episodes from here on. Thank you. Thank you. Who knows what God's going to do with it cuz it's really his. I don't know, you know, I'm not tech savvy, so it's a good thing there's software that knows how to do these things. <laughs> So thank you, Dan. All right. Well, thank you. And I hope you have a great day. All right. Thank you. Adios.